<laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, when, when we, we were, um, you know, every once in a while, like the Wyoming State House will do like an introduction to new business in town and they would just do, oh, you know, round of applause for Joe Wang from Tencent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Made up. Um, so we're here with Jay from Tayson. Yeah. Uh, you've been actually an Urbit supporter for, for a bit. A while. Um, a while. And he's the, the mind behind the reassembly mm-hmm. conference, unconference, mm-hmm. un unconference. <laughs> uh, you've done it, I think, twice now, right? Yes. And it's like, uh, it's a event that has become kind of like, I, I feel like one, like a part of the community, like it's a part of the calendar, the community calendar. Yep. Let's say, yep. um, and that's been really great. It's kind of become a place where a lot of the core dev discussions happen, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering, kind of, if you could walk us through how you got into Urbit, mm-hmm. you know, and and what brought you into the community because your company is not an Urbit company, right? It's just sort of a you 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 guys are uh, fans of Urbit or yeah. sort of like allies. Of oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say Urbit is adjacent for now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So. Um, when I first heard about Urbit was around when the Strange Loop, uh, you know, uh, disinvite thing happened. I forget exactly what year. I think it was 2015. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I got into it. I read some blogs by um, longtime Urbit supporters, um, Andrea being one of them. Uh, I forgot her last name. <laughs> Forgive me. And uh, there was a really interesting blog by um, this horse guy <laughs> horse. I mean, like, I, like I, a horse avatar yeah horse, like horse avatar <laughs> right. and then said something about <clears throat> here's how martian computing works <clears throat> then laid out some of the central tenets of urbit like deterministic computing <clears throat> yeah item put in messaging and all that stuff and i'm like i'm reading this and like that's what i want from any software that i i write or i use right yeah and then so you know i kind of forgot about the strange loop thing and i just like you know, just immerse myself in reading reading the solid state you know interpreter um, paper, and then I you know s- sent the email and got a got a planet <coughs> through email. <laughs> and uh, I, I used to tell yeah. people back in the day it yeah. was like you had to. So if if I remember correctly, you were in the chat, yeah. and then I think if you chatted, Galen told me once, but if you sent a certain number of messages, essentially, yeah. it would say. Put a little prompt and say, if you want to, you want to plan it, uh, yeah. uh, send an email. And it was just literally just Galen responding to the email. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, what a way to onboard. I mean, that was great. And uh, I, I got the first planet and I was messing around. And I hosted my first like Urbit group, which was, you know, nobody was there. But it's okay. It was, I was having fun. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, about trains. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah. It was a, a train yeah, group? Yeah, train group. And... Uh, yeah, so I had a lot of fun, and then so I went to LambdaConf and learned more about uh, from Curtis's speech about just solid state interpreter, and then after that, <coughs> just got more and more involved. You know, got into the early like you know crowdfunding, and then just went from there. Like, got my start, ran it, and then I host you know a bunch of planets now. Yeah. Um, and at one point, I think it was sometime around when like Twitter started mass banning people. Like, mm-hmm. I ran this program where. I would just give planet to anybody who wanted it, yeah. <laughs> and then oh, like oh, I think I onboarded like twenty people or something like that. Yeah, um, which was a fifth of the network at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not that many, but yeah. it was a lot of fun because like I felt like I was actually doing something and people enjoyed it. And <clears throat> hired when I started my company, <coughs> hired uh, 
actually three people out of Urbit okay. directly because I knew they knew what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have to interview heavily on the technical side or anything like that. Um, and you know, like I, I just said, hey, like when can you start yeah. <laughs> that day? Um, so actually, one of my um, colleagues started like the same day I, I interviewed him. So it, w- it was great, like um, early day, and I'm sure even now, like the quality of people on Urbit is very high, right? Yeah. Even now. So, yeah, like, I mean that's a good point, like because the it's kind of uh, people don't think about Urbit as a LinkedIn killer, yeah. but it is in fact. I mean, it's I don't I don't hire anybody that I don't know off yeah. of Urbit. Yeah. I mean, I don't really need to. Yeah. Um, and the good thing is you have yeah you have like the technical you know they can turn a computer on you know etc. But you also have like usually have dealt with them in groups, you kind of know a little bit, yeah. even if you don't know them personally, you know them about uh, what they're about a little bit. And I feel like one thing I like is that, yeah, you feel like within Urbit there is a kind of uh, reputation. Even if we don't have a technical reputation system, there is like a yeah. word of mouth reputation. Like yeah. people don't really want to burn that, you know? So oh, like yeah. you don't have the feeling that someone's going to like rug you necessarily, yeah. um, which is a really, really cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, um, <clears throat> I don't. I don't mean to sound cheesy, but it's like camaraderie exists for yeah. sure in in Urbit. Like any group that you go to, there's willingness for people to like help other, who, others who are having trouble with whatever it is, right? Yeah. And and I think it goes beyond just like uh, creating a another social network because a lot of people just dismiss it as oh another social network like. Well, there's a programming language, and then there's the interpreter, and then there's the you know all that stuff. So yeah. I always try to focus on the you know deterministic computing part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, just the social network, I and mean, that's the thing. I think people, yeah. it's that's not just something, right? That's it's right. Like yeah. The people who run the United States of America are a yeah. social network. That's right. I mean, it's like it's like uh, what if you <clears throat> try to do everything what internet is capable of doing. In short time, a relatively short period. Yeah. Of time. People always say, "Oh, ten years," but like, come on, man! <laughs> Internet <laughs> took very long time to come come up to uh, where it is now. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you're right that that social networking aspect, even not even in the technical sense yeah. of like like a Facebook or a Twitter, but just like yeah. the fact that there is this like social group that is connected by di- digital, you know, um, networking. Yeah, that is a fundamental characteristic of the, of the internet. Yeah, it's it's the network state before there was even a concept of network yeah. state. Because people started saying, hey, what if we actually just, you know, had chapter houses everywhere and met, you know, that's like basically half of the network state. Right? Yeah, So absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, so. that's good. So, okay, so, and then the, during that time you were not working on, on Tassin, you were working on something else. Yeah. And so when you came to start, to explain what Tassin actually, so it's staffed by urban people, mm-hmm. or some urban people, yep. but what is Tassin? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I was working at, um, well, big, huge uh, uh, internet company uh, that did infrastructure and, you know, Samsung. I'll <laughs> just say it's Samsung. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I realized, wow, they route through an enormous amount of data through their, you know, guts just to get something like lights turned on and uh, <clears throat> I you know thought more you know ruminated more on that uh, you know since it's going through a gut and then uh, after that uh, I worked for a uh, crypto company uh, that did a lot of payment processing so it's the same deal right a lot of messages mm-hmm. going through that's my own but it's going through someone else's infrastructure why don't we have something that, you know, you don't have a lot of intermediaries in the middle, you know, cut the cost, you know, reduce the, the, the length of travel of data and all that stuff. And 
<coughs> after I, I was a director of engineering at a crypto company called Metallicus that made a uh, you know, mobile payment app. And then when I was done with it, I was on a flight back from um, <coughs> uh, France, it was a wedding that I went to. <coughs> and then I started typing, geez, what, what kind of exchange would I want to trade in, right? Yeah. Well, first, it's got to be non-custodial. And yeah. second, it's got to be fast. And then third, it's got to be cross-chain. Up to that point, like uh, Uniswap was, and still is not, cross-chain. It, it can only do things in Ethereum, and it's not fast. Um, and yeah, it's non-custodial, but like there are a lot of exchanges that do two out of three mm -hmm. very well, yeah. but not all three. So I was thinking about that for a while and then wrote down a bunch of things. And then, <coughs> you know, while I was working, Bitcoin went down to 3,500. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it was the worst time to quit because that's after I quit. Yeah, yeah. So I had to sell a lot of stuff at like 4,000 or $5,000. <coughs> Took uh, took my you know retirement fund out, yeah. uh, paid paid the government you know ex did whatever exit tax, um, and just kept on building um, and hired a few people and um, that was four years ago. So now it's now it sounds it feels like what did I go through? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. But um, what do we have now is a extremely fast uh, version of a Dex. So yeah. you don't have custody. We don't have custody. Uh, and it's open source, open architecture. So imagine if you will, if you had a Visa payment network, except Visa payment network was open, uh, preserved privacy, and you could you, you know exactly what the you know procedures are mm -hmm. and API is, so you can build on top of it. Yeah. So that's what we what we built, which is open settlement network, and then we built a exchange on top of it to prove the case it works. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So the, so the exchange is kind of like what people would. Yeah, show up for. That's right. That's right. If you if you will permit my very poor analogy, it's like <clears throat> the settlement network is Urbit, and then the exchange is the app on top. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's yeah. good. That's good. That's really really interesting. And so, I mean, can you briefly explain to me how you do? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, to make it really simple because I'm not super. Uh, oh no, no. It's it's um it's a lot more complicated. It's a lot more simpler than it sounds. And so, how it works is, um, in each of the cryptocurrency networks, we deploy what's called the asset custody contract. Okay. And that's open source, everybody can audit it uh, and look at what's in there. <clears throat> the asset custody contract is the one that uh, collateralizes your own trade okay. on a off-chain venue. Because okay. like, imagine if you will, if you just said, here's my wallet balance and then I'm gonna put money onto the off-chain venue, right? Yeah. Because then like, you, you can't do that because you can just move the money out. Um, so it has to be put into a place where it can be immobilized until or st stuck there until like you call a function to settle. Mm -hmm. So very similar to Lightning Network, okay. uh, which is also uh, where I got the inspiration from. So in Lightning Network, you send Bitcoin to a uh, Bitcoin wallet address. Yeah. <clears throat> and then that gets recognized by Lightning Network node, but it's, it's immobile until yeah. you want it out. So once it's recognized, then it's um, cleared for trading on the off-chain venue, like an okay. exchange. <clears throat> but the positive side of that is that then the exchange can work its magic and yeah. being fast where it needs to be, which yeah. is centralized order book, <laughs> yeah, central, yeah. central limit order book club. Um, so the DEXs work in a way where they have <clears throat> either a specific quotes mm -hmm. that are out 
or they have a standing order of liquidity pool, yeah. right? So which means that it's one or the other and no one's happy because <laughs> there's impermanent loss yeah. and whatever, right? Uh, but in the real order book, it can be modified, added, changed, canceled in a split of a second. Interesting. Probably, you know, two tenths, two tenths of a millisecond. Wow. So which means that, that adding and canceling orders is integral part in price setting behavior mm. in a normal fully function yeah. market, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> that's, what, that's what this settlement network, separating the settlement network enables. Now, the asset custody is done and then exchange recognizes it, traders can trade, but the traders are also signing their orders mm. so that we know it's from you know, Alice or Bob yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So it's buyer's signature, seller's signature, and then when they get matched, exchange signs it and then emits. And then that emitted trades are recorded by validators, much in the same way, say, like Ethereum validators yeah. record transaction, yeah. right? And then finally, when, say, Alice says, hey, I want to, I bought, uh, you know, Matic on Polygon using, you know, ETH on Ethereum, yeah. you know, I want the Polygon, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Matic, right? Then she would call the function on Polygon and then on, on chain yeah. rather than exchange doing anything and then get the money out. Interesting. The beauty of that is, Imagine if, like, for whatever reason, exchange is DDoSed, right? Yeah. <coughs> Doesn't matter because you can still get your money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I think that there's so much of kind of like quote unquote urban culture that is, mm, for a long time, was just separate from crypto. Yeah. You know, it like just didn't even really, it was kind of funny because I think there's a lot of, it wasn't even like opposition. It was yeah. just like, we're just working on our thing. It happens to be about de you know, distributed this and decentralized that, yeah. whatever. But it was kind of like there was very little overlap. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny because I, I actually was very much involved in migrating the address space mm -hmm. onto Ethereum. So I remember the first time we were like, you know, doing that. Everybody was upset. <laughs> you remember? <laughs> I, I, I remember that? I very much yeah. do. I, yeah, and I had to deal with it. But it turned out to be a good, good no, decision. No, I think it was a yeah. genius decision. I mean, Genius night might be an overstatement, but it was it was a very good. It was decision. a great decision. Yeah, yeah. and I think that um, and I think that uh, the so what's interesting is that you see how these these things have come together quite a bit. I mean, like the just general crypto, all this yep. stuff, and urban. And I think it's interesting because in some ways we're not. Um, uh, I don't. I guess prejudiced because a lot of people who are are in the space are really. Um, they're committed. They have a lot of skin in the game and in a particular yeah. thing. They're path dependent on this thing or that thing. Yeah. And so you have a lot of kind of like bad, I mean, I wouldn't say bad, I think, no, actually I would say bad faith discussions where yeah. it's sort of like, well, my bags are here. Yeah. Ergo, my thing is good, you know? And so it's kind of interesting to be sort of from the outside because you can be a little bit more, you know, you can see both sides a little bit. Right. I mean, I, I think like important thing to take away is that just, Taking this, like, you know, again, like a silly, silly, you know, word, but urban mindset, right? Yeah. If you think about, okay, how do I maximize privacy? How do I decentralize them as much as possible? Then things will follow. I mean, things, yeah. think, good things get built. Yeah, I, I think that, that's, that's the way I look at it. And um, <clears throat> even though my own technology is not built on it, a lot of the inspiration is from how Urbit's put together. Yeah. Like, what, what, what are they doing? And, and the discussions probably you've had on, yeah. you know, with the group of people. Absolutely, you know? absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's a, that's a, it's a funny thing because I think that, that 
that phenomenon where you have people that are very path dependent on what the solution has to be to a problem, mm-hmm. which I think which arises out of financialization, right? Yeah. It's sort of like um, it actually hurts, like because it, it forecloses a whole bunch of options, right? If someone's like, "Hey, there's this problem, and I know Bitcoin has to be the answer," it's like it, it may not actually be, right? Yeah. Um, so I think maybe like. The urban mindset is a little bit more kind of like able to That's explore right. it. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's like again, like going back to the root of the internet, which is decentralized and all that stuff, which unfortunately took a different path in the yeah, actual yeah, history. Yeah. But you know, like keeping that mindset helped me quite a bit. And then yeah. just like, okay, what would what would uh, what would Urban do? Yeah, what would Urban <laughs> do? What would Philip do? What would uh, you know yeah. everyone else do? You know, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. And so, as a result of all this, you've—he is not a lawyer. Just to be clear, I'm not. He's a not a lawyer. <laughs> um, but uh, I've heard a joke several times. They're like, "Oh, well, Jay's turned himself into a lawyer because Jay is now has knows every regulation around these digital oh, assets boy, yeah. one could know." So I was just wondering, could you give maybe the the listeners a little bit, kind of like a TLDR, if you yeah. are uh, a group based in the United States, you're involved in distributing, selling digital goods. Yeah. Kind of what what's the hits right now? That uh, someone asked him out. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so there, there's. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I originally was gonna give a talk about taxes, but I think I need to actually talk about the investors first. So, there's a class of investors uh, classification called accredited and qualified. So there, are, um, uh, in, in U.S., you know, if you're not if you're selling unregistered securities to un, you know accredited investor, then that's a big no-no, right? Yeah. So you have to first know who you're selling it to, and then you can't do something called uh, general advertisement or general solicitation. There are two different things. Where general solicitation is you you're telling the public, hey, we're selling you know stock, or uh, and here's where you can buy it, uh, and general advertisement is, hey, we're selling the stock. So <clears throat> none of that is allowed, yeah. which means that if you're trying to sell tokens, then well, then what do you do? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. So, but there is a there's a nice a carve out out for what's called Reg S, uh, where if you are um, you know if you're selling only to overseas person and not a U.S. person, uh, then you just have to make sure that Americans are you know prevented from buying tokens in some way. And just do a good faith, you know, way to prevent them from buying it. Yeah. So then, yes, then you can still sell tokens overseas and be fine because it's a regus exempt. So even if you are an American entity, mm-hmm. you can sell the tokens yep. to non-Americans. That's right. Absolutely. Luckily, there are several non-Americans. There's plenty of oh, there are plenty of non-Americans. <laughs> and 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 also, it's an interesting thing, right? Like uh, when I first started this journey, like I was thinking, oh man, well, like you know, the prejudice, right? Like, is there going to be money? There's plenty of money out there. <laughs> okay. I can tell you that. There we yeah. go. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, and, and in terms of the good faith effort, because if someone stacks three VPNs on each other, and it's like that's you can't really prevent someone from doing that. that that's right. right. It, it's it's um. I think the regulatory agencies are also aware that you're not omniscient. You're you're not NSA. Yeah. You know you don't yeah, have yeah. <laughs> you you know. Uh, but there are other things that they also ask, like for example, you still have to do KYC, mm-hmm. you know, because like you have to establish that they're not American, right? Which yeah. is like an opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, uh, and then uh, like you also then have different problems, like for example, FinCEN, which is Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. What they care about is you know preventing terror financing, so yeah. you know prohibited countries and prohibited persons that you're filtering away. And that you do good enough background checks so that you don't sell to like you know uh, people that you it 
could be connected to Iran or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, but you know, it's something that's eminently doable with some good preparations. And then, um, like things are obvious, like when <clears throat> people are trying to scam you, like yeah. they'll do stuff like, I, I mean, this is not specific to ours, <laughs> so yeah. I just have to be careful what I say. But people have told me that. They'll do stuff like they'll submit, you know, they'll get someone else to buy the token for them, mm -hmm. right? Like for example, from like Indonesia. But then when you look at the the purchaser's address, it's like in the middle of nowhere, in the jungle or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like those things are so obvious. Yeah, and you can catch it relatively easily. Yeah, and I think that's like when you do that, and when you have a history of like following through on that those KYC checks, the regulators are generally fine with it. Um, the big problem is when <clears throat> they sell to an American and then they're the you know or advertise to an American. Yeah. yeah. It seems like I was going to say the advertising itself seems like you're just painting a target on your back. Right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for because sure. Because it's like you, it's a thing that's meant to be shown to a lot of people. So yeah. you're just sort of like I, I am flouting the law when you say that. Yeah, it's nuts because um <clears throat> you know <clears throat> back in the day if you're an American company selling stock to a British national, like let's say in the 70s or whatever, it's fine if you advertise in British newspaper because the expectation is that no American is going to read British yeah, newspaper, yeah. right? But we live in internet age yeah. where you know, if we post anything on Twitter, even yeah. if it's intended for British, Americans will see it. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because it seems like you know, the way that you'd prevent it on a site that you own is yeah. kind of obvious, right? Yeah. It's like you just... Do some right. some stuff, but it's like doing it on third party things where you're posting yeah. where user generated content site basically. Yeah. It's like I'm posting something and I don't know where people are going to read it from. Right. How could I? Right. Um, so is it just that you should just avoid all that altogether? Or? Um, <clears throat> there is a way to do it, and this is the same thing where like if you look at any of the startup founders how they frame it, they'll say something like, they're working on XYZ, here, click here to learn more, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you click it, it's a questionnaire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that asks yeah. like, are you American? Yeah, that's <laughs> right? really funny. So you, you can kind of do that. And the, the thing is that like, <clears throat> the, the exemptions that are allowed under, um, under the, uh, the SCC, like the, the, you know, for the, these exemptions, also take into account, like, you, you just can't sell it to like some rando, you know, accredited investor. You had to have had prior relationship. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. which is kind That's of interesting. Which is kind of silly, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like how how would, I mean? Why does it matter? Yeah, right? what does it matter, yeah. right? If they're already wealthy, but apparently it matters. And then so <clears throat> then you have to be careful how you're establishing the relationship in the first okay. place. So like you can't tell them, hey, like I'm, you know, I'm selling something you want to buy. Yeah. It has to be like. You know, someone has to contact you and say, "Hey, like, what are you doing? Here's what I'm doing." And then the guy has to initiate and say, "Hey, I want to invest." <laughs> then you yeah, can, yeah. you know, it's kind of like it's kind of weird song and dance we do. Like, yeah, you know. that's really so. I mean, so one thing that I was wondering though is that, you know, um, NFTs mm -hmm. in well, in, in in one case, the NFT is in that it is non fungible. It is different. You know, at least yep. category. It seems different categorically yep. from a, a stock. Like it couldn't be confused for stock. Yeah. Um, and then also, I mean, the fact that it's it represents. It's. I mean, it, it seems more akin to like art. Yeah. Like traditional art. Yeah. And or like collectibles, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering if it, what's the difference between like a token, like an ERC twenty, <laughs> right. and like Beanie Babies, for example. Right. Like, how would there be? So it has to do with like. 
the first party selling it at fixed price at the beginning. So mm -hmm. that's like one of them. <clears throat> so if I sold a stock at some issuance price and then there's a secondary market that lets it float, then that's one thing, right? Then that, that's unregistered securities apparently. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you sell something at a fixed price and say, we make no claim that this is anything to do with the company, it has no like dividend-like mechanism, yeah. it's not an investment vehicle because it's just like Beanie Baby, right? Yeah. Then it's okay all of a sudden. So it's like, um, it's very interesting. It's very weird because you know that people are buying these things to sell it on the open well, sea. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting, yeah. I think about that because I just yeah. think, about, think about art, right? Yeah, yeah. If I buy, like I, there's some gallerist, yeah. I go to the gallery, yeah. first I have this relationship with the gallerist, I go to the gallery, mm -hmm. He says, yo, there's this up and coming artist. Mm -hmm. He makes these beautiful hats. Would yep. you like to buy a hat? Yep. I buy a hat. But part of what I'm doing is I am not trusting, I would say, but the, but the, the labor for creating the market, yeah. for the, managing the value of the thing, I'm implicitly trusting the gallerist to actually do that. So kind yeah. of in some ways the Howie test like would fail the Howie test is actually I'm not doing it. Not like I'm doing anything <laughs> right, right. to make this art more. Yeah, so the, the answer to that is that when you, when you buy anything that, that has like, um, that's not an, you know, classified as investment vehicle, advertised as investment vehicle, that's important. Meaning yeah. like someone selling an art can't be like saying like, it's gonna appreciate in value, <laughs> you know, or, or there's gonna be other act outside of just the art itself that's yeah. going to make it appreciate in value. Yeah. Then for sure it'll, you know, people will say, ah, that's a big no-no. Yeah. Um, but if it's like, a, yeah, I mean, it's a great art and then it's got some animation and I like it and then I buy it, right? Yeah. Then it, it, it's much more, you know, unlikely that it's going to be, be classified as a unregistered, unregistered securities offering. And the problem is that a lot of times <coughs> there are these NFT projects, um, like for example, you know, Basie, you know, they started off that way, but then they started doing things where they would chop off the NFT and give like tokens and things like that, yeah. right? That's when it starts to become like a lot more enforceable yeah. um, in the eyes of you know SEC. Why do they do that? What's the uh, money? But no, I mean I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean like I mean actually, what's the play there? Right? right. So the play is they realize that the 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 step function for it's the way I think about it is this. When you draw a graph on price versus demand, right? Hmm. So it's usually like there's a demand curve where you, you go across and then that's, that's the demand and that's the price, right? Uh, what they're trying to do is capture all of the area underneath the price yeah, 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 demand yeah, yeah, yeah. by offering the high-end ones in the NFT and then Macy or whatever on the, the you know, middle and then the token at the low end, right? Low price, uh, low price, high, high yeah, demand, right? Yeah. So they're, they're trying to capture every, all the entire area under the demand curve, I mean, which is pretty smart. Um, it's smart. I mean, it's interesting because it's also like, uh, it's why, you know, I tell people Maserati could probably do a minivan, but they wouldn't, you know, it's like, there, yeah. there are reasons that traditional companies don't do this because it's like dilutes the brand. That's right. Usually of the higher end stuff, you cannibalize the, yeah. you know, you get greedy right. and the lower end stuff cannibalizes the brand and then it brings Exactly. Everything. But at the same time, um, you, you probably have a holding company that holds luxury cars. That, and, yeah. and that's the smart thing. <laughs> right, right, right. And then they separate out the brand that way. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, that's, that's really... And so, so how does the stuff that we've talked about here dovetail with, I mean, the Wyoming... You guys are based in Wyoming. Yeah. Wyoming has this uh, landmark Dow um, sort of legislation. Explain to me the relationship. Like, what, yeah. why is Wyoming a favorable jurisdiction? Right. And stuff like that? Absolutely. So 
the the Wyoming Dow Law basically has a uh, it, it, why it's important is this: uh, when you start a Dow <coughs> anywhere else, uh, they may classify that as a general partnership, okay. which means that the Dow members now assume unlimited liability mm. for anything that Dow does, which is you know tremendously disastrous, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so let's not that. yeah let's not do that. Yeah. So what Wyoming Dow Law does is that if you file <coughs> LLC. Uh, formation with DAO that's linked, then the DAO is classified as an LLC. Got it. That then limits the you know liability of the members and all that stuff, which is you know like again, it's just legal maneuvering, but it's important legal maneuvering. Yeah. So that shows a degree of sophistication that the uh, Wyoming lawmakers have, and that's you know why I think uh, I'm I'm definitely wearing this everywhere. <laughs> pro Wyoming. Yeah, pro Wyoming. I you you won't find a bigger Wyoming <laughs> maximalist than <laughs> anyone else, and. Uh, Going back to what else is Wyoming doing? So you know, why one of the Wyoming senators um, is very much, very big on crypto. Uh, Senator Lummis, you know, she, she's everywhere in the you know. If you look for crypto and U.S. Senate, she'll she'll pop up, yeah. right? And she's very crypto friendly. She's trying to uh, chart a course where the crypto, you know. Capital formation can happen in the United States, mm -hmm. yeah. which is you know a lot better than what you can say about everyone else. Yeah. Um, and finally, the there are series of laws that are passed, like for example, <clears throat> um, things that allow uh, Speedy to form, and Speedy is a special uh, depository institution. Uh, I forget the exact term, yeah. but it's basically Bitcoin Bank, right? right? So what that means is that you can deposit Bitcoin. And then get banking access. Interesting, right? Which is very important for yeah. crypto business. Um, and uh, Wyoming also has this part of the banking law from a long time ago is what's called the uh, Wyoming Outlaws Rehypothecation. And what that means is that <laughs> you know you know the answer. I know, I know that when you when you see the smile, that means you you're talking to a talking to an informed person. <laughs> and uh, what rehypothecation is is when you take someone's deposit. And then use it as a collateral for lending out more stuff. Yeah. So in Wyoming, that's prevented, which mm. means if you deposit Bitcoin, that they're not allowed to lend that out. Yeah. Use that for collateral. So which means that your funds is going to be there. Yeah, exactly. Right? So there's a lot. I'm sure, which I'm sure, like like real banks hate this. Obviously. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> real like banks business. hate it. Yeah, because they can't they can't mess around with the yeah. uh, depositor fund. So there are a lot of things that <clears throat> are very, you know. Depositor friendly, capital friendly, but you know, in a in a in a very like forward looking way for like crypto that's to come back. That's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting combination. Mm -hmm. That's really yeah. cool. It's it's amazing. I mean, you should come. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in fact, a lot of a lot of the urban sort of company adjacent things. I mean, like yeah. Wyoming is kind of the spot. Wyoming and El Salvador are the two yeah. kind of go to spots. Only downside is that Federal Reserve and international bankers also hold meetings in Jackson Hole. So, <laughs> but that's uh, that's Northwest. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, thank you. It's been yeah. enormously helpful, mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be useful for everybody at home yeah. too to hear this yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah. um, so, what? Why don't we wrap it up? And why don't you tell people like, where they can learn a little more about Tassin? Yeah, of course. Um, so everybody can go to tassin.com um, and learn more about what we do, what we build. And um, folks can also go to tassin.exchange to trade digital assets. Um, it's a uh, 
uh, no sign up required. You just use your wallet, and uh, that's it. <laughs> there's no, there's no funny business going on. Okay, and then in terms of you, you guys planning on doing a reassembly next year as well? Absolutely, hundred okay, percent. There yeah. we go. Yeah. So even bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come, come on out to Wyoming yeah. and see it. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Great seeing you. Boom.